The Neo Reality Entertainment brand expands with a relaunch of the Neo Reality Collective Pop Culture News Talk. Your host, Eric Brown, gives his insights and thoughts in the ever-expanding news world of comic books, professional wrestling, gaming, TV, and movies. Be sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa. Welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of Neo Reality Collective. I'm your host, Eric Brown of Neo Reality Entertainment, and we are going to cover a huge chunk of news for this week, no matter how big or small is discussed. AEW had its big match with uh, Jungle Boy going one-on-one with a widely praised match with Dax Hardwood, the former AEW World Tag Team Champion of FTR, and... According to Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer, Hardwood, put together and pitched the angle to Tony Khan with the goal of making Jungle Boy come across as a super babyface. Jungle Jack is regarded as being a great athlete, but the idea was for him to make a big comeback and pick up a decisive win and on Dax the Axe, who had yet to been pinned or submitted in AEW. The rivalry is expected to continue and looks set to continue in the weeks ahead. Both teams will be involved in the AEW Tag Team Battle Royale soon, next week at Beach Break. So... This was a quality matchup between the two, and I love that they are pushing Jungle Boy more, whereas before it looked like he was, okay, he's serious, but he's also a joke, so we can't really take him seriously, but let's go ahead and try and take him seriously now. And I really enjoy that AEW's trying to push him more as he can be, who can show he can be a single star than be a just a tag team guy who loses all the time with Jurassic Park. Jurassic Express or whatever. Yeah, it was nice to see that Dax Harwood uh, was willing to put over Jungle Boy and make him look like a star. And I loved how he was the one that put together and pitched the idea to make this work. Because normally you don't hear that in WWE. You hear a ton of times where you hear the whole Vince McMahon doesn't want to push these people. And Vince McMahon doesn't want to hear your opinions and your ideas because they are not his opinions and ideas. Therefore, you must not be a critical thinker and not have free will. I I don't know why he does that. I I really don't know. It will be impossible to decipher everything that goes on in Vince's head these days. I'm pretty sure Dark Side of the Ring will never be able to answer, well, any of this because, well, it's Dark Side of the Ring will take forever to to air all the horrible stuff Vince has done or even just a fraction of deciphering his psyche. I'm convinced that it will take probably a lot longer because it turns out because it turns out that Vince McMahon is so complicated in his mind that they would that they couldn't that they could do 22 episodes of multiple seasons and they would barely scratch the surface probably but enough about my bashing on Vince McMahon because he's having it but AEW's Penta El Zero Pentagon Junior or Pentagon Dark is currently dealing with visa issues which had to have had him get written off due to that because he's starting an issue with his visa and he will return to Dynamite once the problem was taken care of it's part of this whole, if I had to guess, this is probably because of the whole, 
old issue with the COVID crisis and the border issues, which is understandable at that, but there are people who need to work and... Yeah, this was done to write off the former world champ of Impact Wrestling off TV and ultimately have him be cut out of the match with his Death Triangle stablemates, Ray Phoenix and Pac, who are going to team up with Z, which is sure to be a hellfire of a matchup. Now, if only we can get Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker co-made of the show, then everything will be right in the world. But yeah, WWE is filing a lawsuit against the United States Citizenship and Immigration Service, so they're challenging the government. The lawsuit was filed by Matt Martin G. Como, a partner of, of Del Rey and various other companies. On behalf of WWE, he's one, it's one of the world's largest form, law firms dedicated to corporate immigration. They provide comprehensive immigration services for long and short-term international assignments, and the hiring of foreign workers and permanent transfers. The lawsuit is currently sealed to the public, but Johnson of, my, of PW Insider noted that it is likely based around WWE not being able to get a superstar employee into the U.S. The process was activated under the Trump administration due to policy changes. Court records note an electric summons was issued by the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services on January 27. They asked 60 days to respond. Amended pleadings will be filed on March 27, while discovery needs to be compiled on July 8th. Yeah, the whole visa issue thing probably relates to what's going on with AEW. But yeah, like, it's one of the reasons why they got Ben Carter, in my honest opinion. Like, Ben Carter had said that he got an offer before he went anywhere else. But him going to AEW and working for free was a determinative factor in all this, I believe. Because if there was no COVID crisis and he was allowed to get paid or he was allowed to get paid working as a visa because for some reason the law required him not to get paid when working. Yeah, I don't get it either. So that means he couldn't make money in AEW. So he would have to either wait it out, which would probably take for a long period of time because we're still in the COVID crisis era, or he would have to go sign for a much smaller promotion or sign with WWE's NXT UK division, which he promptly did and has been killing it on the scene. And hopefully he goes on to big things there and hopefully not get ruined in the process. If he gets called up to the quote main roster shows who I'm pretty sure will piss off Am Cole because Am Cole says, Oh no, we are the main roster. They are a bunch of chumps. So there's been an update on WrestleMania 37. WWE traditionally has much of the Mania card planned out well in advance. News around this year's, re- year's show has been scarce so far. All the matches on the card remain a mystery, but reports have noted that John Cena and Goldberg are nearly locks with a showcase of Immortals. Dave, Mel- Dave Meltzer provided an update on the Mania card in Wrestle's Zerry newsletter. Only Roman Reigns' universal title match has been finalized, where his opponent is currently unknown. Beyond that, it won't be Shinsuke Nakamura. John Cena will also be at Mania, but if he will wrestle on the show has yet to be decided. Maybe people have worked with WWE for a long period. Noted to Melta that you've never seen a WrestleMania bill like this where there is so little finalized for the show by the Royal Rumble. WrestleMania being a two-night event will take place at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida on April 10th and 11th. Yeah, with all this stuff going on with the virus and everything, it, it's under, it's partially understandable, but at the same time, this really frustrates me because I'm thinking to myself, why can't we have certain people there? Why can't we get, why can't they have this planned out well in advance, but at the same time not be so well in advance 
that they would make promises to certain talent before they could actually be proven to carry that load or make promises to let them cut in line. Because if you're having the top main events, like you can have the undercard filled out, but if you have the main event shows filled out, then it's okay, you got a plan here, but at the same time, you should have some backup plans. But we seemingly likes to stay the course and stick to that plan. And if they do it, they'll have a contingency if something fails through. But that only happens if fan reaction demands it. Yeah, I, I don't like the whole WWE. WWE has a blatant favoritism problem going on where they promise these talents huge, extensive main event shots when it's not even close to Royal Rumble. But that that's just my philosophy on that. I have a different booking philosophy probably. So, Ronda Rousey, three big names are not scheduled to be featured at the Royal Rumble this year. So, the three big names, one of them is Ronda Rousey, who saying that she isn't scheduled to be part of the show, according to Meltzer. And also, also noted that Becky Lynch, Lynch, recently becoming a mother, will not be at the show because, well, she's a mother now. Oh, so they have to plan this out. And Brock Lesnar has yet to resign with WWE, and considering how WWE is currently dealing with issues financially in terms of of we don't have all the money, they're probably not going to sign Brock Lesnar till they get fans back, like long-term, not short-term. So they're probably not going to have Brock Lesnar back anytime soon, and the amount of money he'll be demanding probably won't be able to compensate and accumulate for the profits that could be made. But that's just my viewpoint. Pete and Royce on splitting up with Dada, on Dada, you splitting up the Iconics. She doesn't know if, ever, if she'll ever get over it. Yeah, remember when they broke up? She was interviewed on Sportspedia. Sportskedia. Skedia. I'm, I'm sorry, I butchered that wrong. And she doesn't know if she'll ever get over it. Peyton said, it was right there in that moment we found out the stipulation was that day, maybe the day before. I don't know. I don't have a very good memory, but it really was. Billy and I, we were more than just who we are as WWE superstars. We've grown up together. So for us, like, to our whole dreams, our whole journeys have been together. So for that to be torn to Brian, like you said so abruptly, I feel like I'm still digesting it. And I'm still trying to find my footing without her. She's absolutely thriving right now. She's an absolute genius, and I'm so happy with what she's doing on SmackDown. I don't know if I'll ever get over it. I really felt like my heart torn apart that day, and I'm still trying to process, trying to put the pieces back together. Yeah, and Kay later responded to Peyton's comment saying, I feel the exact same. My life partner, heart emoji. Poor Reconics. Yeah, so to be told, oh, we had no plans for you, so we're just going to break you up, even though you're the only tag t- legit tag team women in this business that's not Sasha Banks or Bailey. So we're just going to break you up and further prove that our division with the tag tiles, women's tag titles is absolutely pointless. So, yeah. It, it sucked that they, that they haven't been able to really make it back together on this, and they're probably going to be a while before, they can, before anyone can get their footing. But, yeah, it it sucks that they had to break them up. Like, they could have done anything differently. Heck, if they wanted to go on their separate paths, they could have just split them by draft. Therefore, you could leave the door open for them to get back together down the road. But, no, we can't do that. That would make too much sense. Also, WrestleVotes, popular WrestleVotes reporter. WWE is apparently considering a scenario. They said this in their tweet. 
Sorry for the lack of details here, but still noteworthy in my opinion. Had a brief conversation earlier with a source regarding the Men's Royal Rumble match. They said, quote, There's a finish that scares the death out of me, and it's legitimately getting heavy consideration. Yikes. Ouch. Yeah, I heard this, and I was, like, really panicking a little bit because I was thinking to myself, Oh, God, please don't tell me they're really going to do this route that I'm fearing because one of the paranoid thoughts I was having is that Goldberg beats Drew McIntyre out of some weird desire for no particular reason because reasons. But they instead might go with Goldberg winning the Royal Rumble, challenging Roman Reigns, after winning the WWE title, because we have to do that, because Battle of the Spears is the main priority, even though we have Edge and we could use him. I don't know why they're doing this to me. Are they doing it to all of us? I really hope that they don't go this route. But it's Vince, so really, I wouldn't be surprised. So remember Ukes developing that AEW console game and Kenny Omega's big vision for it. Cultaholic originally caught up with Hughes via an email-based interview to discuss the AEW console game, their partnership with AEW, and much more. So AEW, so, so AEW and Hughes revealed development on the video game starting in the summer of 2020, but they had been in discussions for over a year before that. Both sides have continued to communicate regularly since development began. They are in contact every day by email or online meetings are held at least once a week. Kenny Omega has been one of the public faces behind the console game so far. I mean, like, he did come out as a Steve Jobs impersonator. And Nukes ultimately intends to create a product which encapsulates his vision. Kenny Omega's vision is for the game to be enjoyed by both fans of wrestling games and by users who are maybe unfamiliar with wrestling. We intend to create a game with a wide perspective for an experience that effectively balances both. While Nukes plans to execute the Best Bass Machine's vision, much still has yet to be decided since the game is still in early stages of development. This includes that the game will be released on Nintendo Switch. Omega previously confirmed owners of current and next-gen consoles will be able to play their hands, but Geeks revealed a decision has not been made if the game will be coming to the Nintendo console. If AEW will release a console video game annually has also yet to be decided, but Yukes noted the decision will ultimately be made by the company. They told Cultaholic, The game market is constantly changing, which also affects how the games are enjoyed, developed, and whether the game is released annually or new content is released as DLC will be determined by AEW while keeping a close eye on the market. So, some of the things I took away from this was, I'm excited for this, they're wanting to go for a more No Mercy vibe, and I love that Kenny Omega is the director, so to speak, of this big console game, and they have intergender matches, so that gets a plus. Now we just need Tissa Blanchard to come in and not be offensive. But, uh, that's on my Wrestleverse channel on YouTube. But the thing I, I, I was hope I'm hoping for, I hope it's not an annual release, is instead one gigantic game where the game gets regularly updated with new content as the days and months and years go by, lasting the entire generation, and then make a fresh new game on the market for the next console and subsequently do a console generation release of the games. So I feel like that would be the best balanced version. And if they want to do a radically altered development one, they could probably like maybe make it a big extra super sized DLC content machine out of it instead of making people pay an extra 60 bucks for what is essentially the same game, but not really changing it up. So I feel like they should do that route, but that's also going to be up to AEW. Let's hope they listen to the fans perspective on this. Yeah. Nia Jax. See, yeah, Nia Jax uh, did a botch again because, of course, she had to in WWE against, yeah, against Dana Brooke. Yeah, 
She delivered a very awkward choke slam that the back of Dana's head smashed off the mat. So naturally, everyone's pissed again. Reports later confirmed that Brooke walked away from the match unscathed and was said to be 100% okay, but it was still a scary moment. So, as this report goes ahead, many have criticized, but the WWE Superstar hasn't been too concerned as she called fans whiners and, quote, weak-ass losers on Twitter. Her words, not mine. Jax quoted, quote, tweeted a post from TalkSports' Alec McCarthy and wrote a thread of whiners, love to see it, accompanied by multiple laughing emojis. Oh, my God. And then she wrote to a fan who called the chokeslam a dangerous spot, saying, glad to see I'm still living rent-free and all you weak-ass losers' heads. Again, accompanied by laughing emojis. Because we definitely can't have responsibility and accountability happening. That's just stupid. I, I want to give Nia Jax the benefit of the doubt. I want to get... I want her to be to because I really do feel like she has potential. I feel like her NXT run they showcased the positives and hit all of her negatives. She really did well in NXT, but I don't know what the hell happened when she got called up. Did the person who's usually in charge of Nia Jax's matches just was not brought on board? Was Vince McMahon just not caring anymore, or was it because she's The Rock's cousin, so well, I'm going to let her do whatever she wants? Damn it! Just so long as she doesn't go on Twitch. It just frustrates me that this keeps happening. I'm like thinking to myself, why are you doing this? Why can't you just take the criticism? No one's telling you. I don't think anyone like I can at least speak for me and several others that none of us are trying to be rude or mean or call you make fun of you. We're just concerned. We actually, I've spoken to some people. They like you, Nia Jax, but they say, oh, she was better in NXT. She should go back to NXT because that's where accountability was made. But no, they don't do it here. In WWE, they just say, do whatever because you're Nia Jax. You're related to the the Samoan dynasty that's very well known, or aka Roman and Rock group of people. Yeah... It's annoying, like, I I had hoped Naya would at least take the criticism who want to be, who are concerned when she injures people. Like, how many times does she injure Kyrie Sane? God knows how many times in one year last year. Like, what, three times, four times at best? And it was just so frustrating that was happening. Oh, God. I just want Nia Jax to learn some form of accountability on this. I, I don't want her fired or anything or be given a pink slip. I just want her to be go back. Like, like you got to remember this. Nia Jax was not one of the people that were told, go to the performance center and train. That was Keith Lee and several others. Remember, now remember this. Keith Lee was told he needs seasoning. He needs to refine. Nia Jax wasn't. We're in a world where Vince thinks Keith Lee is a danger and Nia Jax is a perfect saint in safety. It's just weird. So, yeah, Ryback. Yeah, he was on the news again. So he hasn't wrestled since 2018. He's been doing a couple of things like Ryback TV and the Ryback podcast and whatnot. Conversations with the big guy. Hey, he said in an interview, I'm coming back and I'm going to go to the competition. We're going to kick their ass in the ratings. Some assume the competition was AEW, but Dave Meltzer, a.k.a. AEW spokesperson, 
And Dave Meltzer says that Ryback is not signing with AEW if the big guy will sign with another promotion ultimately remains unseen. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't want Ryback in AEW because I, I don't think he has a really good behavior. In fact, he's threatening to sue WWE for slanderous comments. I don't know if Mark Henry's really contracted by them. And even if he is, I think this is on his own volition. I don't think WWE has any involvement in this. But yeah, Mark Henry and him have been having issues with each other for the last several weeks, fighting back and forth on the words. And Henry advised AEW not to sign Ryback, saying calling him a snake in the woodpile and says, no, thank you. You hoping, hoping that AEW says that. But yeah, I feel like Ryback shouldn't. I don't want Ryback in AEW. So yeah, AEW is not going to be signing Ryback. And when I heard that from their spokesperson, I was like, thank you. So that's all I needed to hear. So, AEW originally had announced from Bodyslam.net was announcing that AEW planned to leave Daily's Palace for the month of February and tape several weeks of shows in the Miami, Florida area. There have been reports of complaints from some of the roster about the colder winter temperatures, and the others believed a change of scene would be good for morale. They later reported that those plans changed, and the promotion opted to remain at the Daily's Palace for the, quote, indefinite future. AEW has since started selling tickets for Dynamite tapings for February and March, including the Revolution pay-per-view. A new report from Pro Wrestling Insider has noted that AEW never officially planned to leave the Daily's Palace, and the company won't be moving from Jacksonville any time in the near future. The Con Con family he has a good relationship with the city of Jacksonville, and AEW is free to run shows at the Daily Palace at any time. Daily Palace at any time, and something which may not be possible if the promotion moved. Yeah, I got. I understand that. Like, don't the cons con own the whole daily pal place, daily's place? So if they do, that means they could do whatever they want with it. Therefore, they own it. Therefore, they don't have to pay extra money. So yeah, it makes sense that they shouldn't move because it, it makes sense for like obvious reasons. I, I feel like it's best they stay there and not move because. Let's be real. It feels like it's a perfect balance right now. Like, I get the colder winter temperatures, but we're about to get spring soon. So you could have probably moved to a different show for a couple of weeks, then wait till spring came in, and then go back to the Daily Palace. But, yeah, I get that they wouldn't want to leave because it's less cost-efficient. So Cost-efficient. So AEW has announced... Ounce, along with their spokesperson, the AEW Revolution will no longer take place on February 27th, instead moving to March 7th, 2021. AEW reportedly decided to move it because the promotion didn't want to go head-to-head with, with the big boxing pay-per-view event. March 6th was talked about as another possible day, but wanted to avoid airing the same time as UFC 259. They later report noted that AEW will officially announce the new day at some point this week, which they did, as part of their Sting promotion, Sting and Darby Allin, and the most awkward promo I've ever seen. I am still trying to process that because I, I know I'm like I still cannot picture Sting the way he looks with that voice. But yeah, that that's just my opinion on that. Matt Cardona, Cardona, a.k.a. Zach Ryder, woo-woo-woo, has reported that although he's been showing up on Impact, he has not signed with them. So, he's not officially locked in. This was probably Fightful. 
He would then be, he started using his real name, spent some time in AEW before appearing in Impact Wrestling at Hard to Kill. So he does not have a full time contract and has work and has been working television tapings on an open contract deal. So he's just having fun at the moment, and like get, being a filler, so to speak, for himself. So oh, I'm looking. I, I, I'm okay. He can shake his op- choose his options, especially if the option, especially he can choose his best option. But it is interesting that they would put him in such a high position if he's not really signed. But again, they have the Impact Wrestling Knockouts Champion signed, not win the title, and wasn't signed to a contract at the time. Then she signed with them. Still, <laughs> yeah. Miro, remember how Miro has been criticized by fans, saying, "Why is he not being a champion by now?" Why is he not doing the things that we want to see him do? That's perfectly simple. It was said in his tweet, Twitch, originally. Nero had said that he wanted to start at the bottom, work his way up, and try to readapt to the independent scene since he has not worked there freely in over 10 years. Yeah, it made sense. He would want to start fresh and adapt to the top again, especially since he had to work with the WWE style, which was very restrictive. Also, Miro has commented about this stuff, uh, says that if he never becomes AEW World Champion, he will just end his career. So basically, yes, he will be AEW World Champion eventually. So yeah, Miro is serious about getting up there. He's just wanting to have some fun right now. And also, he claimed to have had sex in the tank, and today he is last traditional one-on-one opponent at WrestleMania. Okay, let's be real. Did he just say he had sex in the tank with Lana? Oh, God, that, that's got to be... Okay, that's got to be weird. But, yeah, I'm glad Miro is not leaving, is going to stick to his word. He probably was joking, but still, it's nice to see that he does intend to want to be world champion. But, let's move on to the comic books! The new non-binary Flash from the inf- from the future state timeline has... Is coming back for the DC Universe Infinite Frontier. Uh, the new speed speedster Jess Chambers brief but winding journey will continue in the DC Universe's Infinite Frontier event. Right, Joss Williamson tells Newsarama he is the first non-binary character debuted as a teen sidekick named Kid Quick, as part of the gender swap Teen Titans team from Earth Eleven, and which is written by Ivan Cohen and artist I can't pronounce the name, and it was part of the Very Merry Multiverse event. So we're gonna see that character again. They came from the multiverse. Joss Williamson reads the introduction to Chambers in Future State Justice League. Eek to warn our world of a great conspiracy and stay behind to help with the fallout. And since Future State was designed to be part of to see future storylines with a new DCU, that great conspiracy may be a story Joss Williamson plans to tell someday. We'll definitely see them again, he says. So... I was worried about getting into too many spoilers. Their story isn't over yet. And if you look into that issue, especially once you get to Future State Justice League number two, you can see I'm a big fan of them as, a char- of them as characters. I've written a lot of Flash, so it was important to me to do something different and to write a Flash that I hadn't written before. When offered to work with Chambers, Williamson said he totally went for it and really fell over writing all the characters and, and writing their relationship with Andy, a.k.a. Aquawoman, in, in Future State Justice League. In particular, it was one of the things that unlocked the stuff in my head writing the whole cast. I have a plan for the DCU and a plan for all this stuff in Infinite Frontier, and Jess is definitely part of those plans. 
However, the return may not happen immediately. That's going to take some time, just though, just warning you. We have a plan so far in advance now, so some of these things are going to take time to get there. I think people will be happy to see some of it. With, with some of it. Yeah, the new DC universe is the whole Infinite Frontier thing. So I've read some of the DC Future State books with the character, and it's pretty good. Joss Whedon is pretty good on Justice League, I think, and he should have been the guy instead of the out-of-continuity Messa-Alec, Mesa as known as Brian Michael Bendez. But that's just my opinion on that matter. Josh Williamson did talk about how the DC universe is going to change with Infinite Frontier, according to Joshua Williamson. And yeah, it's a big event and it's going to be a fun, wild time. Also, the Sandman has been pretty pushed into things lately. Sandman Audible Book is going to be greenlighting Acts 2 and 3. James McAvoy brings Morpheus to audio life in two additional volumes. So I've been re- I've been listening to Sandman number one of the Audible announcement of the Audible era and calling the Sandman hugely successful debut, which broke records for the most pre-orders on any Audible original title and earned the distinction of being the best-selling Audible original in the company's history. Then it was obvious that they were going to announce the sequel and its final trilogy. Stretching this out into a trilogy, especially since the Sandman is a very condensed, a very big book. Especially since it kickstarted the same main universe imprint, so yeah, it was. A, it's been a fun read, and I'm gonna enjoy it. But we'll have to see how this story goes. I'm probably gonna talk about that on my Pop Culture Omniversa YouTube channel. So we'll see. So the X Men are having this big election for for in the post X Ten of Swords era, where they're gonna have they're gonna put a public vote out where it will affect the X-Men titles, most likely all of them, because they are going to have... <laughs> that m- the mutant community is creating a brand new mutant X-Men superhero team, and Marvel Comics is letting the fans and readers vote in this map, mo- vote in this matter. It's holding an online vote that began on Wednesday, January 27th, and will continue until February 2nd. And the candidates are Banshee, Polaris... Boom, Forge, Tempo, Cannonball, Sunspot, Strong Guy, because that's an interesting name, Marrow, oh, and Armor. I voted for Polaris because I want her to finally get a big push in the comic book industry. But we'll have to see where that voting goes. But, um, yeah. <laughs> Man. It's going to be a fun ride, and I'm hoping Polaris wins. Well, I, but, it said, but it was said that although the voting ends on February 2nd, we won't know until at least June, I think, or July for the Hellfire Gala. Yeah, Marvel is democratizing this event, this Dawn of X era, and I'm a little surprised because Hickman usually likes to build up his stories. So the fact that he's letting this vote happen that could affect the entire time period that he's working with this... It's interesting that he went with it. So we'll have to see where that goes, and <laughs> we're going to have to see where any of this goes. I'm hoping for Polaris to win. Vote for Polaris! I am her campaign manager. So, No Time to Die, the latest James Bond movie, has been delayed further into 2021. It has been moved from April 2nd to now October 8th for theaters. Yeah. There. 
Oh dear, this is bad. So COVID once again has destroyed industries. And AMC very barely survived 2020. They are said to no longer be on the verge of bankruptcy for recent money reasons. But yeah. But not only that is joining the whole the whole delay process. The Uncharted movie, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Cinderella, and Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway, are all delayed. They once again moving to all their respective dates, either to next year or late to next late to summer to late 2021, but some are set for early 2022. So yeah, Tom Holland's probably gonna have to wait a little bit longer. Also, Morbius, the Sony postpones Marvel movie release again, updated to the delay to again into 2022. Man, so yeah, Morbius is actually an interesting movie I was hearing about because it involves vampires, which means Marvel is investing in the vampire stuff, which means we will see Blade fighting Morbius eventually. Also, Marvel Studio boss Kevin Feige is teasing that the multiverse will be a running MCU theme like it was being subtle about it. So Marvel Studios president has indicated that connections to the multiverse will appear in MCU before and after Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. During an interview with Rotten Tomatoes TV, Feige dropped a few hints about the studio's plans to further explore the multiverse concept. He seemingly confirmed the multiverse would go on to serve as a re-emerging theme after the events of the upcoming sequel of Doctor Strange which is scheduled to hit the years on March 25th, 2022. The title of the next Doctor Strange movie is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, so that is our biggest clue that this will embrace the multiverse and the madness therein very directly. There are, as we always like to do, connections before and after that, which will remain to be seen and discovered, a.k.a. the Avengers broke the timeline. You moron. Especially since Spider-Man Three is said to have is said to be having Doctor Strange come in, and will have ties with WandaVision and Loki, which means that all hell's about to break loose. Oh man, oh man. So <laughs> yeah, get ready for that insanity. So, Mass Effect 2. There was apparently an original plan for Jack for Mass Effect 2. One of the original options is that, according to one of the game's writers, the Mass Effect 2 character Jack was originally going to be written as pansexual, but her romance options were apparently changed late into development to only allow for a heterosexual romance, seemingly because of the critical response to the first game's sexual scenes and a Fox News panel on Mass Effect. Ah! Political correctness strikes again! Oh, you poor bastards. Mass Effect 2 was considered an iconic game, but, like, Fox News, like, what, faked several things about how you optionally control the scenes? I mean, if you, like... I don't care. If they want to put that in for some reason, they can at least let... They, I, can't, I seem to recall they do... I think they do a, a skip scene, but, yeah... Yeah, I don't care. But the idea that Jack was originally supposed to be bisexual or pansexual, but they changed it to just straight, yeah, that's annoying, isn't it? Also, so as we continue this, news into cycling things, Microsoft has announced that the games for gold for February 2021 are Gears 5, the remastered version of Resident Evil 
of Resident Evil, Trials of Fear, Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb, and Lost Planet 2. Announced on Xbox Wire, Gears 5, Resident Evil, and Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb will become available for Xbox Live Gold on February 1st. Dendoria, Trials of Fear, and Lost Planet 2 will become available on February 16th. So, Gears 5, which will be available until February 28th, is the latest entry in the Gears of War franchise, which has been fully optimized for the Xbox X and Series S. Yay! So, yeah, I was excited to hear this, because it just makes I don't have to go ahead and keep using a disc. But I'm already having Game Pass, so it doesn't really affect me. But, yeah, games with gold, gold users will be able to get some happiness out of this. So, Resident Evil 4 Remake, because, yeah, that had to happen after the multiple remastering releases they did. So, the remake of Resident Evil 4 is reportedly seeing a partial reboot at Capcom and a change in the development leadership after disagreements over its direction. Reports that per source is close to the project by by video... By uh, Video Games Chronicle, Little reports core Resident Evil studio Capcom Division 1 has taken the lead on the project with the original developers seeing its role reduce M2. This change could apparently lead to a 2023 release. Reports claim that following a project review, M2 has, was seen to be too faithful to the original game, with Capcom preferring the remake takes inspiration from Resident Evil 4, which introduces new elements and features. So they, like, probably were like, oh, we want to be, like, that game where... <laughs> That, like, Final Fantasy VII Remake, which was, I think, a, a secret sequel, in my opinion, because there are certain hints that that game actually takes place after Final Fantasy VII OG, which will be, like, Visions of the Future for Aerith, and leading to all this nonsense and time travel and cosmic horrors. But we'll have to see when the other two installments for the Final Fantasy VII game comes out. So, nearly 19 million Australians who use Google Search Monthly are probably going to be out of a job of search engines. Because Google has threatened to pull the search engine from Australia as as part of... And Facebook has said it will remove its news feeds from the feeds of all Australians if a code that will enforce digital platforms to negotiate payments to news companies is passed. How dare you give us make us pay for stuff we are the news corporations of tomorrow as reported by the guardian this would mean 19 million australians who uses google each month would no longer be able to do so and 17 million australians who use facebook each month would no longer be able to see or post news on their feeds this legislation has been post- proposed is currently in front of Parliament and would force these digital platforms to negotiate with news companies for a suitable payment for using their content. It also mentions that an arbiter would be in place to ultimately decide the payment amount if no agreement can be reached. So Google delivered an ultimatum to the government on January 22nd saying that news code is unattainable and would set a dangerous precedent for paying for links. Yes, yeah, because Google is the saint of, of morality. Oh god, this is so ironic. The principle of unrestricted linking between websites is fundamental to search and coupled with the unimaginable financial and operational risk if the version of the code were to become law. It would give us no real choice but to stop making Google search available in Australia. We're driving other services from Australia is the last thing Google wants to have happen, especially when there is another way forward. Forward! Sylvia mentioned that Google is willing to make the situation workable if certain changes were made to the code. The code. 
No, not the code. Google was keen to enter into agreements for media companies to pay for co- content, pointing out that around 450 deals would have been made for, with media companies around the world. Australia's Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, responded to the statement by Google by firmly saying that the government will not respond to, quote, threats. Let me be clear. Australia makes a little small things you can do in Australia. Yeah, that's done in our parliament. It's done by our government. And that's how things work here in Australia. And people who want to work with that in Australia, you're very welcome. But we don't respond to threats. Facebook, on the other hand, mentioned that news articles make up about 5% of what the average user sees on their feeds, and that no commercial benefit was gained by Facebook on its users posting fake news. Okay. Facebook has proposed the digital platforms like Facebook be given six months to grace negotiable deals. Those were these news companies directly before being hit with the big stick of mandatory code. Australia's competition watchdog, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, developed this particular code. Its chair, Rod Sims, um, has said that what was being lost in the debate was the code was simply not a requirement and for Google and Facebook to pay per click for news articles. Discussions we are aware are having focused on paying upfront lump sums amounts, not per click. What this code does is give the possibility of aberration, which it's, I suspect won't be used that often, but the possibility even up the bargaining prices, this is really the only way you can get commercial deals. So it comes down to money. Now, I am not a political expert, other than I hate what happened in D.C., because, oh my god, what the hell were they thinking? Even for a Trump supporter, I'm thinking that was too far, and I'm not a Trump supporter. I don't really... I, I thought, like, like I'm not going to go into the politics stuff, but come on, really? A disagreement results in an attack on the Capitol of Congress? Fuck. Like, I'm not even going to go into that. I hated that. But I have seen people who were Trump supporters saying, I'm not the fanatic kind. Yeah, they condemned this act of horrible terror, and I so do I. And thus, as all time passes, we will wonder what the heck was going on that day in everyone's heads. So anyways, Activision Blizzard has confirmed that vic- Vicarious Vision, the developer behind such titles as Pro- Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 and Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, is officially being merged into Blizzard Entertainment. Darn it. As reported by Game Industry Biz, that Vicarious Visions team of about 200 people will now be employees of Blizzard, and we are fully dedicated to existing Blizzard games and initiatives. This means Vicarious Vision will no longer be creating games as the lead developer. After collaborating for some time and developing a great relationship, Blizzard realized that there was an opportunity to provide a long-term support, said to Game Industry Biz. However, Activision Blizzard did not reveal what the team has and will be working on going forward. The studio head, Jen Ornell, has promoted Blizzard to executive vice has been promoted to Blizzard executive vice president of development and will be part of the leadership team and report directly to Blizzard pre- president. Simon Ebjern, I'm pretty sure I butchered that name wrongly, who was the chief operating officer of Visions, will take over the studio head role of O'Neill. Yeah, we, I'm pretty sure we can say the studio's dead now. Oh man, I hate this because it, it's just sad. Honestly, it, it's sad. I, I, I don't know what they were thinking, but when Blizzard's brought up, it's I'm remembering what happened... Earlier, like earlier last year, with with uh, Warcraft Three Reforged and 
that disaster, man, I'm just stunned that they're doing this. So this is the death of that games and any future projects without being monetized to death. So, uh, CD Projekt Red has released patch 1.1 for Cyberpunk 2077 for consoles, PC, and Stadia. As detailed on Cyberpunk.net, this big update's big focus is on stability improvements as Twitter, as noted on their Twitter account. This update lays the groundwork for upcoming patches. Remember, usage improvements in various systems within the game are part of this patch and should improve characters, interactions, navigation, and in-game videos, foliage, laser effects, mini-maps, devices, AI, street traffic, environmental damage, GPU-related, and more. There have also been various crash fixes related to, among others, loading saves, game opening and closing, and point of no return. Many fixes for Quest and Open World are detailed in their patch notes, as well as others for the UI, visual achievements, and more. Those on P- PS4 and Xbox One are experiencing the most issues with it, and Patch 1.1 looks to fix the crash issues and improve memory uses for character creations, mirror scanning, command remote control, menus, inventory map on Xbox One, Xbox One X, and Xbox Series S. So I'm not going to read the entire patch notes. It's pretty long and complicated. But I do have a question. How do I point this delicately? So they had essentially admitted, I, I, I tried my best to describe what they said in their big public out public statement, was essentially that there is a, quote, original cut of the game, which was so big and powerful that they had to scale it back to match for the consoles because it wouldn't work on consoles. Yeah, I'm just going to ask this very specific question. Why not just make it a PC game and then make a console edition that that scales it back and stars that game? Wouldn't that make more sense? I'm like, I know this is business and everything, but like the way they did this has completely backfired in their faces. But I'm just trying to offer what could have been an easier solution than just, hey, let's screw it up for everyone and overly corporately corrupt ourselves. So, yeah, I am sad. I am very, very sad. Can you feel it? Can you hear my sadness with this whole debacle? So, yeah, <laughs> expect the hashtag release the Cyberpunk 2077 director's cut to be made. So, yeah. So, back to the Marvel stuff going on in their comic stuff. Marvel's revealed new details and creative teams for the upcoming Heroes Reborn event, which will be known as a new ongoing series helmed by the Avengers writer Jer- Jason Aaron and artist Ed McGuinness. Marvel has confirmed that his Heroes Reborn has no direct ties to the original 1996 event, event, though it does share certain conceptual similarities. The set is set in the aftermath of the current Enter the Phoenix storyline, and it seems that the story will end with the Phoenix Force obliterating the world and remaking it with one major change. In this reborn Marvel universe, the Avengers never formed, causing a chain reaction of alternations to the Marvel timeline. In its new timeline, Thor is an embedded alcoholic unworthy of Mjolnir. Tony Stark never created his trademark army, Captain America remains frozen in ice. In place of the Avengers, the Squatch is a premium America as the world's dominant supreme, and they'll be opposing villains like Dr. Juggernaut, the Black Skull, the Silver Witch, and a Thanos who wields Infinity Rings instead of the Infinity Gauntlet. Oh, man, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, Aaron said in a press release, Maybe the wildest story I ever put on paper. I got to cut loose in this and release my inner comic weird 
child in a really profound way. And together we created a myriad of immensely imaginative artists. We built a world where I'm pretty confident saying it's quite unlike any version of the Marvel Universe you've seen before. It grew out of the pages of my Avengers run, but kept getting bigger and bigger as they went. And the more pieces I put in place for this reborn world, both the more gleeful and excited I became. This project really stoked the fires of my love for comics in all the right ways. So, Heroes Reborn will be taking the place of the monthly Avengers comic for the foreseeable future, even as it continues prof threads from that series, given what we know about Mephisto being the big secret architect between countless acts abilities, is learning Avengers part of his much larger plan. And so, yeah. <laughs> Heroes Reborn is weird for me. I'm thinking to myself, so, wait, does that mean Peter Parker is not, isn't a moron who made a deal with Satan, essentially, with Mephisto to not be married to MJ just to save his dying on constantly. Is that the route? Is it? But yeah, it's already annoying enough because here's what we want is essentially another massive event after they just got done with the Avengers enter the Phoenix Tournament. Which is concurrently going on with their big event, King in Black! The King in Black! Yeah. So, I'm just confused and, and lost how this happened. So, yeah. There was... I haven't read much of Jason Aaron's run on Adventures. I'm planning to get the oversized hardcover when it comes out for the first volume. I haven't read the Enter the Phoenix storyline, which you can check out on Pop Culture Omniversa, which you'll see on my YouTube channels. But, yeah. Let's move on. Vercarious Visions reportedly brought into Blizzard to work on a remake, or remastered, or, or as it will be called, Diablo 2 Resurrected. Yeah, we're really doing this. Yeah, oh man. Diablo 2 is actually a thing. It was set to be developed by Blizzard Team 1, which is located at Ivern, California campus, and was to go was the go-to group bump for reworking classic games. In its latest title, Warcraft 3 Reforged, which was a complete disaster in every way possible. Oh, man, and all the corporate business stuff that came out about poor playing, miscommunication, a rushed release date due to financial pressure from management, among other factors. One example was given was that following the game's reveal in 2018, he began taking pre-orders for 2019 before letting most of the developers about the release window. Yeah. How about instead of rushing the game, how about you should have just waited to delay it and not make a final release date? But that would have been asking too much for management. We know that. So, uh, A Quiet Place Part 2 has been delayed to 2021 of September. Originally set to release on April 23rd of this year, it's been moved to September 20, September 17th. Yeah, that, that sucks. Along with joining that is Top Gun Maverick. So, we're screwed. Due to the uncertainty surrounding the COVID crisis we're living in, especially in light of the whole mutations that we're most likely screwed over, we're probably going to be dealing with this for a lot longer, which means I will be stuck at home, most likely, unless I'm forced to go back to work, and thus fixing my project, and thus continuing creating great content for you on the internet, especially on Anchor and YouTube, and probably several other places down the road if it comes to that. Microsoft full statement came out that so yeah they originally announced that 
announced that they were going to be raising the prices of Xbox Live Gold because stupid. And free-to-play games would be unlocked now after this reverse, of course. I don't get why they did this, raising the subscription pricing. I'm thinking to myself, oh, you want to push people to the Game Pass thing. Yeah. It just, yeah. So, yeah, they got a very rapid, dark response from fans. So they finally admitted, we messed up today and you were like to let us know. Connecting and playing with friends is a vital part of gaming and we fail to meet the expectations of players who count on it every day. As a result, we, will not dis- we have decided not to change the Xbox Live Gold pricing. We're turning this moment into an opportunity to bring Xbox Live more in line with how we see the player at the center of the experience. Free-to-play games will truly be free and you will no longer need an Xbox Live Gold membership to play those games. We're working hard to deliver this change as soon as possible in the coming months. If you want Xbox Live Gold medal, you stay on your current price renewal. New and existing members can continue to enjoy Xbox Live Gold at the same price as they pay today in the U.S., $9.99 a month for one, and $24.99 for three months, $39.99 for six, $60 bucks for, 12, for the retail 12 months. Phil Spencer took to Twitter and said and apologized for the angst and emotion the initial announcement caused and said the company will learn from me in the future. Apologies for all the angst and emotions caused today for our customers. As always, we appreciate the feedback. This is a good learning opportunity for us, and we will learn from it. Yeah. I don't get why they did this. I was thinking about this all day that day, and I was thinking, why are they doing this? They have the gold. They already have a lot. They have, they're funded by Microsoft. Microsoft is one of the world's biggest companies. They don't need all the money. They have enough. God, I don't get this process they went with. It's the internet and corporates. So, uh, Cyberpunk 2077 likes to brag about how they had the biggest digital launch game launch of all time. Too bad that sucked. <laughs> oh, man. It helped reach digital game sales reach $12 billion in December, which is a 15% increase year over year and made December have the highest monthly revenue total revenue ever. While console earnings year-over-year jumped 16%, PC saw a 40% increase when compared to 2019. Yeah, too bad they got the, quote, inferior version and not got the director's cut, which they will probably one day try and bring back and ultimately say, We are heroes! Now give us your money. Because, let's be real, that was the big blunder for them and ruined their reputation for a lot of people. So there is apparently a game in development that people are excited to hear. <laughs> a new game is being reportedly in the works and it's not being developed by EA or Bioware, the studio behind the original conceptual game. So as reported by VGC, this latest rumor comes courtesy from a credit Star Wars Insider, Best Ben Bulletin, who spoke on the recent B.O.B. podcast. Asked episode about this project that is said to be in development outside of EA and will never guess who the studio is in that working game. So, yeah, this is Knights of the Old Republic. Yay! So, yeah, when I heard this, I was thinking to myself, wait, there's a new Star Wars Old Republic, new Knights of the Old Republic game, and it's going to be not by EA or and uh, Bioware? Oh, thank God. I'm like, considering what Bioware and EA have become, I'm glad they're not. I hope it's Obsidian, because Obsidian made a much better sequel, despite all the cuts they had to make with it. Luckily, the fans made the director's cut. (laughs) 
So Gabe Newell is being crazy again with his whole oh, brain-computer interfaces will do for gaming, if not make you want to question your life. But yeah, he talked about the prospects of ours work on brain-computer interfaces, BCI technology, that will allow you to directly control devices using your brain, and which generally devices to provide feedback to your brain. So he spoke in a New Zealand number New Zealand's One News, the Valve co-founder, went into detail about what he sees the potential of the technology and really that developers shouldn't ignore this emerging technology. Tons of stuff could happen, like lobotomization, probably. If we went that route. Yeah, they're not going to plan to launch a consumer-based version anytime soon due to the speed of research. And, New- and Gabe Newell is certainly conscious of the dangers of the technology going forward. He told One News that BCIs could be used to stimulate physical and mental pain, and that will be up to consumers if they want to adopt to the technology or not, given the potential risk. I'm not saying this is for everybody who's going to love, and it says that you have a brain-computer interface. I'm just saying each person is going to decide for themselves whether or not there's an interesting combination feature, functionality, and play. So, Newell added that BCIs are no less valuable, vulnerable to viruses and security breaches, so the technology will demand a lot of consumer trust. No one wants to say, oh, remember Bob? Remember when Bob got hacked by the Russian malware? That sucked. Is he still running naked through the forest? Or whatever. So, yeah, people are going to have a lot of confidence in these are secure systems that don't have long-term health risks. Yeah, Valve has been interested in this field for some time, with Neil previously telling last year in IGN how we're closer to the Matrix than people realize in a 2020 interview with IGN first. Yeah. We're screwed, aren't we? We're going to turn to the Matrix. We're all going to live in tanks, be controlled by robots. I'll get to that in a little bit. So, a GTA Online cheat maker forced to close by Take-Two Interactive, if following illegal action from Rockstar's game parent company, as spotted by Rockstar Intel, Luna Mod menu distributors Luna Cheese has replaced its website with a short statement alluding to the legal action. After discussions with Take-Two Interactive, we are immediately ceasing all maintenance, development, and distribution of our cheat menu systems. We will also be donating our proceeds to a charity des- designated by Take-Two, repository for any and all problems our software has caused to the GTA Online community. The Luna Mod allowed players to cheat in GTA Online, letting users drop money, spawn vehicles, buff damage, and protect themselves from hazards. So, this has been done to help halt griefing and stop cheaters, but Luna Cheese is by no means the only cheat distributor in GTA Online. It remains to be seen whether Take-Two will sign similar measures across the board. So, good. I don't play GTA Online all that much. I just recently got back into it. I'm probably not going to I'm not gonna make videos about it on my YouTube channel, but I'm thinking, yeah, it's probably for the best this goes away because, oh god, I have seen so many of those... So many uses with absurd level ranks, even back in the early days. I don't play that much all that often. I usually just stick with my buddies. But, yeah, I I don't... Man. If we were allowed to do certain features that can't be done unless we're in a public server, then it would be a much different experience for me. Yeah, also, WWE Network in the U.S. is going to close down and move to the NBC's Peacock in March. Dota has revealed that NBC Universal will officially launch the network on its Peacock streaming service on the U.S. on March 18th, beginning the rollout with more than 17,000 hours of new, original, and library WWE Network programming, both on demand and on a 24-7 channel. For variety, any existing subscribers will be migrated over 
route to Peacock Premium for $4.99 a month, or for an ad-free experience, Peacock Premium Press will be available for $9.99 a month. The Wall Street Journal reports that WWE is set to rake in more than a billion dollars for a five-year deal, which will see Peacock become the sole streaming distributor of the U.S. of the WWE. Consequently, WWE will shut down its network streaming service in March, but will continue to operate as a standalone streaming service outside the U.S., meaning that nothing will change for the network for subscribers in other countries. The company plans to share further details about the switch to Peacock and management consumers accounts over the next few weeks. The new agreement will bolster the sports programming selection for Peacock, back with all the WWE's live pre-previews, including WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Fastlane, available on Peacock on March 21st. The catalog also includes original series and podcasts, including the all-new icons, WWE icons, plus in-ring shows like NXT, NXT UK, WWE 205, as well as replays of Brian SmackDown, together with the archivals and documentaries. So, I heard this Initially, oh man, I I was like, oh, you're gonna force me to go to Peacock now. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm cool with that. There's some content I like on there, but WWE Network closing down was a blow for fans. But I have looked into Peacock a little bit more after looking into it. So they do have a download feature, which is a very much requested feature fans have wanted from the wrestling side of things, but WWE for some reason never provided that. Now all we have to do is bring custom playlists for selected matches, and then we'll be good. Please. Yeah. I I was a little shocked at this, so I had to go into details before I made any horrendous negative comments about it, because calling Vince a moron and everything, and how he's robbing fans of stuff, but luckily I went into details more before I said anything other than the, wait, what, on my Twitter account. But in other news, Konami is not shutting down its gaming division, even though I wouldn't have been surprised, and not a single thing would be lost. Konami has provided more clarity in the future of its gaming division after announcing it will dissolve its production divisions. Per a company spokesperson, the move has been made to allow for games to develop more nimbly. Speaking to IGN, Konami explains the difference between the soon-to-be-dissolved divisions and the company's remaining production department. The division's supervised production department develops the games. With that supervisory aspect now removed, the hope is seemingly that the company will be able to make games more efficiently. The production departments will report directly to upper management, allowing them to respond quicker, quickly to the market. So it's part of this whole big internal restructuring. Does that mean they're going to be good again and not kill people over this stuff? Please. And we got bad news, everybody, on the Warner Bros. front. Warner Bros. Games will seemingly have a heavy focus on live service gaming. Yeah. Live service first the process of continually updating your game out to release to keep players invested, adding new features, items, storylines, and more, and it's becoming an increasingly profitable market. However, it's been a complete fail at times, like Anthem and Marvel's Avengers failing to recoup its costs, to failing to enamor its audience with launch dates. Uh man, that sucks. While no specifics are given, but we can, but IGN likely can assume that the upcoming Back for Blood will include Zyla's service elements given as modular on nine states. Similarly, any future Mortal Kombat and Justin games from the WDB-owned Netherrealm will likely incorporate live service elements. 
as they have in recent iterations. Clearly, as W, Wonderverse Interactive Entertainment Games could be include similar ideas. To what extent the publishers currently work on the Hogwarts Legacy, Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker Saga, and Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, none of which are outworthy announced live elements. Coming Gotham Knights from Warner Bros. Montreal soon won't be part of that push. Is the writers previously told that very much not designed to be as a game as a service and will tell a self-contained story rather than an evolving narrative. IGN contacted Warner Bros. Interactive Entertainment for comment, but have not received a response at the time of the publish. So, yeah. Man. There was some uncertainty regarding Warner Bros. Interactive Entertainment as a whole until the parent company, AT&T, announced it was no longer looking to sell the company after reportedly deeming it too valuable to unload. Yeah, that would have been a big thing. Since AT&T had a lot of debt in it, I, I heard. But it is interesting that they're not selling it, so thank God for that. Also, the Harry Potter era is not over yet, as they will be developing a TV series for HBO Max. Because, of course. A report of Variety says that the indicates for the plans are moving ahead, although no talent directors or writers have been attached, no plot details are given. THR echoes the report saying that broad ideas have been discussed and what the show could be, but that no deals have been made. They have told THR, HBO Max, and Warner Bros. that there are no Harry Potter series in development at the studio or on the stream platform. This, however, could be the definition of in development. We were early discussed early discussions ongoing. Companies may, may not yet define the project as formally in development. So there are multiple avenues for new Harry Potter stories to head to down, with more recent editions of the series publishing away from the book's original time period. The Fantastic Beasts moved, at least have depicted an early 20th century version of the Wizarding World, while the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child pushed into adulthoods of the main series car characters. In gaming, Hogwarts Legacy will head back to the 1800s to take on the school, oh, although we won't see for some time as it was delayed into 2022. However, Daniel Radcliffe previously told IGN he expects to see the stories will received receive a full movie or TV reboot one day. It will be interesting to see how long these films can stay, if it feels like there's a scaredness around them, but they'll go, the shrine will wear off at some point. It will be interesting if they reboot it, just to do the films in a se- or again, or do a series. I'm fascinated to watch. Considering what the author of the whole thing is, considering how much they had to distance themselves from her after the whole disaster that she's been doing... Yeah, it's probably for the best that they don't even involve her at this point. So, Dragon Age 4's main location has been confirmed by a Bioware book. The main location will be Tevian Tower. I'm pretty sure I butchered that name wrong. As pointed out, it was set up at the end of the Trespassers expansion for 2014's Dragon Age Inquisition. The book indicates that places other than Tevern will be visited as well, which makes sense considering Dragon Age usually sees, sees players trekking across multiple different lands. Antevia City, the capital of Antivia, is shown in the books too. The city borders on the city on the Tevantar or to the east and is surrounded by water. Other constant art depicts a crow who is an assassin and to celebrate for their mastering stylish slaying that wears a mask, wheels a sword, and has multiple sidekicks, according to Eurogamer. According to that concept art, it is an image of Mornwatch, who guards Theus from occult threats and hangs out in the Necropoles. Eurogamer points out that while the location isn't mentioned, they are used to Neveria, which is part of Theus. As the citizens are known for mummifying their dead, like the city... It also borders on the big location, which is to pick the Deep Roach, which are Dwarven Tunnels in Thetis, and the Lord of Fortune, which is a Treasure Hunter's Guild. 
while waiting to actually see in Dragon Age 4, there is a cinematic trailer for the game, which was released last December, wherein Harry hints at the returning characters from the Inquisition. So we'll have to see where that goes. I'm expecting some crazy stuff, though there were some things that happened in the development cycle that had to reboot it, so we'll have to see where that goes. Season has reportedly seen major developments and shifts due to alleged toxic executive. Scavenger Studio Season, which had an impressive debate trailer at the 2020 Game Award, has reportedly had a tumultuous development that due to the latest reported pattern of a workplace harassment and toxic behavior at the studio. A new comprehensive report from Game Industry Buzz lays out a host of allegations from nine current and former developers of the studio, the team behind the previous Darwin project, in the upcoming season against co-founder and Darwin Project creative director Simon Delory. I'm pretty sure I butchered that last name wrong, but I don't care. Specifically, in regards to the season, the reports describing an alleged previously worry among developers as scavengers that should he become part of the team working in a season, he would essentially override the creative current creative director, Kevin Sullivan, who IGN previously spoke to about season, and the rest of the team's work. According to a report, these concerns became real, with allegations that despite his actual role in the game remaining unclear, he has come in and led to a considerable shift in focus and scope on season than what was previously been in place. Several current employees mentioned that he had used the partnership with Sony to force his own ideas into the game, saying he had promised a number of features to seal the deal, such as the larger world, quest, and objective markers. That either wasn't planned or had been already even scrapped by the team. Now they said the studio is on a hook for them. The report states, with one source quoting saying, I don't even recognize the game for what was originally planned. One source even told the outlet, while it brought me extreme joy to see the work of my friends, it did sting a little bit to see a bunch of people praising the studio, seeing how calming and chill and progressive everything looked. It might well be true for the season project, but it has not been the experience with management. And those concerns are allegedly not just due to claims of his inability to follow through on the ideas. That was also a marked aspect of the Darwin's project development internally. Instead, the report shines light of a number of accusations against the Simon and current scavenger CEO, Emil Lamich. I'm butchering names wrong, sorry. Chief among the claims of less hostile workplace created by him, by the team, is the sense of a boys' club atmosphere with allegations that women of the studio have been frequently degraded by male employees, including the Simon, and has been fraternized and treated as if they did not know what to, they were talking about, even when speaking from a position of expertise about their own work. Ah, so the age guards sexism, even though this is the 21st century and we are in the 2020s, and yet we must still act like complete and utter morons. Initially, the report lays out report concerns from current former employees about the mistreatment and bullying of employees, save for a group of commandos that were his favorites. Allegations of Simon groping multiple employees and implications of essentially serving in the HR role and uh, to other employees despite having previously been in a romantic relationship with Simon. Scavengers respond to Game Industry saying, Scavengers Studio appreciate that there have been situations during its rapid growth and takes the position of any type of harassment. It's unwelcome and unacceptable and takes any complaints to the respect in this respect very seriously. While the studio told the outlet that certain elements are false, somewhat blown out of proportion or lacking importance, Scavengers do not comment further what specifically may have been incorrect about the allegations. Oh boy, so we're all screwed. Yeah, I, I don't. I didn't watch the game awards. Probably do not know what this game's about. But to hear that this is happening, it's like, oh dear, it it, it sounds bad. So Tomb Raider two adds adds Lovecraft co- Country showrunner as director. I completely forgot Tomb Raider was a thing for movies. Man, 
Like, it was taken off the release window for without receiving a new date due to the virus, and I had to reshoot, thing, reshoot things, but I had completely forgotten that there was a Tomb Raider movie and that they're sequeling it up. I'm completely confused. I'm honestly confused. I, I didn't know what this whole thing was about. Like, I never watched it, but I just heard comments about it. But... Yeah, I I had completely forgotten Tomb Raider the movie was a thing again. But we'll have to see where that movie goes in the sequel. Sophia, the robot creator, announced plans to mass-produce robots this year. Let Sarah Connor know, just in case, IGN quotes. Sophia, the robot, and three other models uh, from Hanson Robotics will go into mass production of the year, and I begin to rolling out the factory out the factories in the first half of 2021. This news comes by the way of Rudders after a tour through the Hansel Robotics Hong Kong factory conducted by Sophia the Robot, who you might recognize as the viral robot from years ago that was granted citizenship in Saudi Arabia back in 2017. Hansel Robotics would now believe to be in a better time than ever to roll out these robots so that they can help not only healthcare sectors of the world, but the retail and airline industries as well. Ah, the whole, they took my job! is going to happen with robots. So the fear of robots taking out jobs is going to happen. <laughs> Come to life. Social robots like me take can take care of the sick or elderly, Sophia said during the tour of Corner Riders. I can help communicate, give therapy, and provide social stimulation even in difficult situations. Hanson Robotics founder and chief executive David Hanson said the company is planning to sell thousands of robots of many different sizes in 2021. Although he did not give an exact number as to how many, he just said that four models, including Sophia, will run out to the public this year. Reddit's noted that according to the International Federation of Robots, worldwide sales of professional service robots jumped from 32% to 11.2 billion dollars from 2018 to 19. Those numbers have likely risen during the current COVID crisis as robots are seen around the world helping the healthcare sector and Hansen said he believes that, the world, that in a world of COVID, more automation is needed to keep people safe. One of the robots Hansen Robotics is launching this year, Grace, has been created specifically for the healthcare sector. Sophia and Hansen robots are unique by being so human-like. That can be so useful during these times where people are terribly lonely and socially isolated and financially vulnerable. This speak that speaks to the larger mission of Hanson Robotics. The piece about page says is innovation in re- AI and research development and robotics engineering, experimental design, storytelling, and material science brings robots to life as engaging characters, used for projects, and as an evolving AI. So <laughs> yeah, we we probably need to contact we need to contact Sarah Connor and let her know that we're gonna go through this. Man, this is gonna be weird. So, Biomutant is coming to PC, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One on May 25th, 2021. No mention was made for next-gen consoles, but it is part of the THQ Nordic reveal. So, get ready for that. I don't know much about that. Lord of the Rings Gollum has been delayed to 2022. The new publisher, Knock-On, has announced that Twitter on Twitter confirmed the company's involvement with the developer Didek, Didek, saying, We are forming a fellowship to publish the Lord of the Rings Gollum. The game will be released in 2022 for Xbox and PlayStation consoles, Nintendo Switch, and PC. More news to come to the future. I don't know why this is even a thing, but okay. But the precious, we want the precious. It's pretty, pretty weird. 
So, uh, Godzilla versus King Kong, a North American release date, has been pushed by a few days. There are debates in theaters on an HBO Max on March 26th internationally, but not domestically. Damn you, foreign nations! So, yeah, it has been moved to March 31st on Wednesday domestically for the U.S., so we suck. I don't know why this is the case, but, yeah, yeah, this is a thing. So Godzilla vs. King Kong is a thing, so get ready for the knockout fight of the life. Also, Spy Kids franchise is being relaunched development with Robert Rodriguez. With Robert Rodriguez. As reported by Deadline, Rodriguez returned to write and direct the next film, which is said to revolve around the, around the activities of a multicultural family. Spyglass, the, is the current owner of the IP, and Skyda- Skydance hopes to add kids spies to his list of fields to diversify its slate. Skydance will be the lead studio and will oversee development and production, while Spyglass, Gary Barber, and Peter, I can't pronounce that last name, will serve as executive producers. So, are they going to follow through with the, main, with the original characters all grown up, or are they just going to make a whole bunch of new characters and call the other characters? Because, you know, that's how reboots work, right? Xbox hardware revenue grows as Microsoft reports record earnings. Microsoft has posted record profits this quarter, including a boom in its gaming sector, which has revenues up 51%. The company as a whole has posted a reported record-breaking $43.1 billion in revenue. In the most recent financial earnings report, or for the period ending December 31st, 2020, Microsoft shared the revenue increased by 17% to reach $43.1 billion and $15 billion in profit. As per the case, for the last several quarters, profits were driven by Microsoft's cloud perform, but that doesn't necessarily mean that others weren't successful in other ventures. Hardware was saw the biggest growth thanks to the launch of the Xbox Series X and S. As Microsoft says that the gaming hardware segment and grew 86% thanks to the new hardware, though the company hasn't shared exact numbers. Meanwhile, Microsoft reported that revenue has grown 51% overall in gains, with Xbox content services revenue up 40%. The growth has been attributed to third-party titles, Game Pass subscription, and first-party titles. According to Microsoft CEO, during the conference call, Xbox Game Pass now has a million, 18 million subscribers. The number also doesn't take into account Microsoft's ZeniMax acquisition, which says to expect to close later this year. News of Microsoft's successful quarter has pushed Microsoft's stock. The success of the company is, of course, based on a broad array of products and offerings, not just for gaming. Microsoft's line encompasses software, apps, home computers, and more, while R&D dabbles in projects like putting servers underwater. Yeah, that was the thing. So, <laughs> yeah, we're all screwed. So, Microsoft's making all this money, so naturally they had to go ahead and raise the prices of subscriptions only to take it back. Elder Scrolls Online Blackwood is going to be a prequel to Oblivion coming in June. The new chapter adds about 30 hours of stories and companions. But that's to reveal Blackwood, a new story serves as a prequel to the events of Elder Scrolls 4, the Oblivion. It will launch on several dates for June PC and consoles. Revealed on their live stream, the chapter will launch on June 1st for PC and June 8th for consoles. It will task players with uncovering the schemes of a Daedric Prince and... Maristrat Dagon, who serves as the primary antagonist of Oblivion. 30 hours of story content is set to be added to the game, set over 800 years before the events of Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion. The 
the uh, this update also introduces Oblivion Portal World events, quality of life features, and a companion system similar to the single player Elder Scrolls game. Will people will be able to develop, recruit, develop, and customize NPCs to fight alongside them? It's all part of this year-long Gates of Oblivion content roadmap for Elder Scrolls Online. The expansion will send players to various locations related to the fourth Elder Scrolls game, including Lurian and Blackwood itself, which is caught between the Argonian homeland and Imperial Province of Serendol. Well, Blackwood narrative will kick off with the Flames of Ambition DLC, which adds new dungeons that will be able to threaten the Madness Dagon. Flames of Ambition is set to launch on March 8th, 8th for PC, Mac, and Stadia, and March 16th for Xbox and PlayStation consoles. So they also teased an end-of-the-year story DLC, which will take players to, de- to the Deadlands, and also known as Mirrors, Dagon's Personal Realm, and other brothers in the years of Naughty Dog Veteran recently joined Elder Scrolls Online developers and Emacs to work on a new unannounced AAA IP. So, <laughs> Night Dog Veteran, let's hope it's not of the life, the Last of Us 2 much stuff. So, I haven't played much of that game, but I am excited about what I'm hearing. Server 27 has also announced official mining tools releasing. They have begun releasing mining support tools for Server 2027, paving the way for more complex mods for the PC version. The official support page explains that it will offer official tools and resources that will help you modify and create your own experience in the world of Cyberpunk. Those tools are currently in fairly limited, offering downloads of the game's metadata and two utilities for listing game data and settings. There's something else that allows mods to easily unpack and edit the files that show that could be considered a first step to the road to official mods rather than the beginning of a new influx. CG Project Red says the tools will be continuously updated alongside the game patches to ensure compatibility. It also encourages users to read the licensing agreement before opting to use my tools, presumably to ensure all users understand the guidelines around using third-party software in relation to CD Project Red's own creations. It's only been added, the community has been producing mods for some time since the release in December. While it's generally simple, some successful mods so far include the smoggy atmosphere Blade Runner to Night City, renders in the game to uh, Borderlands Shell City Look, and a variety of others that improve the game. Arguably less successful is the third-person mod, which feels more so proves that the game should be played in first-person than anything else. Yeah, I heard about that. It looks weird. Skate sequel to be developed by new EA Studios, Full Circle. They will operate out of Vancouver, where employees around the world. So this is a new studio by EA to its company stable, Full Circle, and the Vancouver-based but also globally focused, the studio will be team behind the recently announced Skate game. While it remains unclear whether the newest entry of the Skate franchise will be Skate 4 or the reboot or something else, EA confirmed the Full Circle team will, will be led by Dan McCullen and the former head of Box Live at Microsoft. Wait, what? Box Live? That, that's a weird name. Returning skate producers are remaining on board, having appeared in the skate sequels announcement video at EA Play 2020. So I don't play skates, I don't play it, so I'm not much of an expert on this, so I'm probably not going to be the best device on that. Kevin Feige says the Marvel's Eternals pitch was the best he's ever heard. The Eternals is a very big, sweeping, multi-millennial Spanish story. So I have read the Eternals number one issue that came out this year, and I enjoyed it. I don't know much about the Eternals other than they're a, once again, Jack Kirby creation, because Jack Kirby is freaking awesome. Dark side. So complications, complications. We all love them complications. So, I'm certainly ready for, for this movie. I'm hoping it will be good. They have a very big cast. It's going to be a cosmic epic. And they even have Jon Snow to hanging out with them. So, that's got to be count for something. 
So we'll have to see when that comes out. But it seems Kevin Feige likes it, and we can trust Kevin Feige a lot more nowadays. A Tomb Raider anime series is said to be in development at Netflix. A Life is Strange dev dot nod to create a new franchise after Testament buys minority stake. Yeah, that, that was the thing. I don't get the Tomb Raider thing. And they're trying to hold this. Netflix is trying to invest more in the anime market because the anime side has been booming since the COVID crisis. So Netflix is we got to get in on that. So Tomb Raider is a good thing. And we'll just have to see how it goes. Tencent has or has reportedly purchased $36 million of minority stake and will be used to finance a new franchise for .NOT for PC consoles and mobile devices. The funding will also be used for to allow .NOT to self-publish whenever the game becomes official. The funds raised will mainly be used to finance the ramp-up up of .NOT Australia to develop new self-published intellectual properties worldwide for PC consoles and mobile platforms. Therefore, take full advantage of the positive trends within the industry for creators to for internationally renowned and original games such as .NOT, the press release said. No idea what the series is, but Life is Strange is currently a mystery. Tell me why and Twin Mirror are known games. games. We'll have to see where that goes, but Tencent, uh, yeah, that's a little bit, yeah, I'm a little worried. AMC stock stores, however, after interest from Wall Street Bets Reddit. Yeah, AMC's stock has risen considerably. In fact, a lot of places have been rising considerably, such as GameStop, uh, which is coming out of left field. But I don't know much about the smart marketing, so we'll have to see that. So, Josh Sweden, Yeah, we, we know about him. The Avengers director and Avengers Age of Ultron director. And Josh Sweden talks about Vision. And now he's supposed to have a dongle. That's my censored word for you know what. So, yeah, Josh Sweden originally wanted Marvel's Vision to have a dongle. Why? He's a robot. Why would he have one? God. So, Game of Thrones animated series is said to be an early development in HBO Max. No deal has been inked yet, so it's entirely possible that the series will ever materialize, but THR reports that HBO's meaning would rise for a potential project. The animated series will reportedly follow the same mature tone as the original TV series, yeah, representatives from HBO Max declined to comment. It's unclear if the anime series will follow the events of the original series or follow different events in the Thrones universe. Because does everything need to be a shared universe? We got the tale, even though season 7 was a complete disaster, according to people. I still have not watched it at this time, but I, even I was confused when I heard stuff like, okay, why is this character being so offended by Bells that she'll ready to kill everybody? Yeah. Yeah, Activision calls proposal to interview at least one diversible candidate per job is unworkable. They're trying to say, no, we didn't say that. That was mischaracterized. Oh, God. I know stress, Activision Blizzard has, what, 9,000 people they mentioned? And, yeah. Yeah, that... Yeah, the original story saying a new report found that Blizzard, Activision Blizzard is resisting the adoption of hiring a practice. This is that word required the coming to release one candidate who's a qualified woman or minority candidate via the attorneys calling it unworkable. Yeah, thanks a lot. Oh, God. And they're trying to save face. The world has lost a force of nature. Resident Evil Village voice actress Jeanette 
I can't pronounce her last name. I'm sorry I can't do it. It has died at the age of 39 following an eight-month battle with colon cancer. She had played several characters in the upcoming Resident Evil game, including one of the witch sisters that make up the daughters of the house of... I can't pronounce that name. Also suffered from colon's disease and contracted COVID-19 last year. Details which were analyzed by her fiancé, Dusty Warren, in the GoFundMe campaign that was set up to help cover the, her medical expenses at the time. Warren confirmed her passing in a statement on Facebook and it is with a shattered yet grateful heart that I inform you that she has passed away like last night due to complications of cancer. I'm really sad, but I'm super proud of her. She fought so hard with tremendous grace and optimism, inspiring myself and I'm sure many of you. Capcom heard the news and cut out their own statement, paying their condolences, saying, We here at Capcom R&D 1 are deeply sad to hear the passing of Jeanette, I can't pronounce the last name, sorry, the talented actress who helped bring several different characters, including our witches, to the world in Resident Evil Village. Our hearts go out to her family and loved ones. So a lot of people came out to express their condolences, and that's good, that's good. I'm all signs, everyone. Okay. Let's move on. Yeah, uh, CG Project Red, apparently their hotfix was apparently game-breaking because, of course, they have to game-break this stuff. And there was also a report coming out that Keanu Reeves' Cyberpunk 27.7 had a sex mod removed, which clarifies his stance on modding models of real people. God damn it. The mod apparently allowed in-game models to be swapped into explicit scenes. Why? I, I know it's Keanu Reeves. I know everyone says he's breathtaking, but c- c- come on, really. So, yeah. Also, in the matter of we're getting weird with all these Sandman stuff, the full cast was revealed for Netflix as the Sandman, and it includes two former Game of Thrones stars. And we're going to have Lucifer, and the actor looks like a Lucifer type. Not the one from Lucifer the series, because that would just be crazy for them, but he looks like a decaying Lucifer. According to Gaiman, the Netflix series will make uh, significant changes to the source material, including updating the present-day setting for the 21st century rather than 1989, when the comic originally debuted. Interestingly, the Sandman will mark the first time the DC Comics incarnation of Lucifer Morningstar has been played by a woman. That character was previously played by Peter Stormore in 2005's Constantine, Tom Ellis in the Lucifer TV series, and Michael Cena in audio drama, Audible's audio drama adaptation of the book. Though generally portrayed as a male in the comics, Sandman's Lucifer is an audacious figure, whom gaming confirmed was modeled closely on young David Bowie. Unfortunately, despite Lucifer moving in from Hawks to Netflix, the casting would seem to eliminate any possibility of the two shows coexisting in the same universe. So, yeah, they have a female Lucifer, and I'm not complaining. Like, like God can be a woman so, in some cases, so why shouldn't Lucifer be a woman? So, yeah, you pick and choose your interpretation, but this is just a reinterpretation. It's allowed to do its own thing. It's just another universe in the DC multiverse aspect. So, their next big Tomb Raider game aims to unify the reboot trilogy and the original trilogy and the original games. So, Crystal Dynamics has announced that has shared a bit of information currently uh, currently announced Tomb Raider, saying that it's working to unify the timelines of Core Design's original games and its own reboot trilogy that began in 2013. 
While the reboot trilogy told the origin story becoming the, of her of Laura Croft becoming the Tomb Raider, the original games featured a seasoned and confident adventurer. Says game director in a video posted to Twitter, the development teams envisioned a future Tomb Raider of Tomb Raider unfolding after these established adventures, telling stories that build upon both the core design and crystal dynamics games working to unify these timelines. So it's nice to know that they're not actively quote rebooting everything. They're saying we're gonna fix, we're gonna unify the timeline. Especially since everyone loves the original Tomb Raider games. So that's a good thing. Nice. Cool. Pretty cool. So we'll have to see where that goes. But nice to hear that. Roger Craig has announced that the has announced that he is departing the the Sega's Sonic the Hedgehog voice after 10 years. And Capcom confirmed this with the Sonic the Hedgehog Twitter account, stating, For over 10 years, Roger Craig Smith has been the integral part of the Sega family. He brought the voice of Sonic to life, and we are forever grateful for his never-ending enthusiasm in helping the community and spreading joy. Thank you, Roger, for all you've done for Sonic. Yeah. Roger had posted on Twitter, 10 years was an amazing run, unworked to new zones. Much love to the fans who've been so kind, it's been an honor. With a heartbreaking emoji of blue. So naturally, they kicked a puppy, essentially, I think. So yeah, I don't play Sega stuff. Yeah, I don't have really much projected thoughts on that. Ninja Theory has announced that they will no longer be adding content and to Bleeding Edge as it focuses on Hellblade 2 but, and other projects. However, it will still be playable even though the game will get any new content. Okay, you still have your game. A Bleeding Edge is, was a 4v4 third-person melee combat game announced in 2019 and was released in March 24, 2020. In our And the Bleeding Edge game, it was essentially like, I'm trying to remember that other game, Ubisoft. I don't know, but yeah. So they're not making more content for Bleeding Edge, so that's sad. We'll have to see where that goes. But yeah. Robin Hood hit with hit with a class action lawsuit after halting GameStop stock. So yeah, there was a lot of stuff regarding the GameStop booth, and then all of a sudden Robin Hood said, no, we're not doing it. You can't buy stock in that. Yeah, and a lot of politicians came out to defend the open market concept, which was shocking for a lot of people. Let me see. I believe one of my friends commented me on this. AOC and Ted Cruz agreeing on a Wall Street situation along with liberals, conservatives, independents, moderates, etc. favoring GameStop against Wall and against Wall Street too. This is all on Twitter. 2021 is already being weird. It got weird when the Capitol was attacked by fanatics of Trump. Yeah. Weird, isn't it? DC has announced that there will be four new animated short films, including Constantine, Blue Beetle, Yay, Commandi, and Vertigo's The Losers. It will be part of the upcoming releases of DC Universe movie collections, with the exception of the lengthier Constantine film, which will serve as an anchor for a collection of short films in 2022. All four short films are being produced by Rick Morales, who previously worked on Marvel Mortal Kombat Scorpion Revenge. Commandi the Last Boy of Earth will be the first short film in the new spring as a bonus for the Justice Society World War II animated film. Commandi focuses on the titular last surviving boy on Earth following a great disaster that resulted in animals becoming to possess human-level intelligence and humans referring to their baser instincts. Yeah, the tale of Commandi is a tragic one, I think. And... Ryan Reynolds, a.k.a. Deadpool, has given the fans of what the original pre-Disney incarnation of Deadpool 3 might have been. 
He wrote on Twitter, It's critical to have an open, honest, and healthy discussion around mental health. By retweeting let's, hashtag let's, Bell Let's Talk, you can make a difference. In case that's not enough, before Disney bought Fox, Deadpool 3 was going to be a road trip with Deadpool and Logan. Rushmore star style, for real. You son of a bitch. I... God. Oh, God. That so we we could have had so what they were gonna get, so apparently it says Deadpool is so broken in his timeline. Deadpool three would have had would have had Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds on a road trip with Hugh Jackman trying his best not to strangle old Ryan Reynolds. Damn you, Disney! Oh, man. So, Ryan Reynolds will still continue to play Wade Wilson at Marvel Studios to date the only actor confirmed to carry over from Vox, but Deadpool, please, as it exists now, will feature a completely different story. As for Wolverine, his MCU debut may still be years away at this point. Marvel Kevin Feige had to confirm again that Deadpool 3 will be a rated R movie and the studio is currently being depended by Bob Berger's writers. With input from Reynolds. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been awesome. Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, and Deadpool Ryan Reynolds having fun and kick, kicking ass and taking names. Damn you, Disney. G4 has confirmed the revival of X-Play at Attack of the Show for 2021 as part of their relaunching brand. Summer 2021, we heard you, the legends return. Summer 2021, we never stopped playing. With a video that confirms that X-Play and Attack of the Show will be returning. It's part of this big relaunch event that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it was originally... It, it first revealed its intention to return in the middle of 2020, and since then, Xavier Woods has joined as a new host, and Kovli and Moon, who has been talks to rejoin as a host as well. So, yeah. Be excited for G4's return. Let's hope things are better the, first, the second time around. Halo Infinite's engineer explains how the game is being optimized for every device, not just Xbox One. An engineer working for Halo Infinite has explained how the game will be optimized to run well on all platforms, not just Xbox One. In the latest Inside Infinite development blog for January 2021, Game Foundation architect Daniel... I can't pronounce that name, discuss how the studio rebuilt the engine multi-threading solution to ensure the game runs optimally across every device, including... That includes Xbox One, Series X and S, and PC. For Halo Infinite, we rebuilt the engine multi-threading solution to ensure high execution efficiency across all platforms on and PCs instead of running optimally just on Xbox One. We use this system to transition the to the renderer to a massively parallel multi-threaded framework to support the increased cost of all new rendering features and achieve high graphics efficiency on PC CPUs on various sizes as well as Xbox S and S, including Xbox One, One X and S. Hardware. Well, as this suggests that the game will be launching on last gen consoles, players shouldn't expect too many compromises on more powerful devices because of that. On the flip side, back in 2019, the development director Frank O'Connor said the Xbox One is not going to be second class citizen when it comes to how last gen consoles will run infinite. So this doubles down on the promise made and gives us the idea how it works from a technical perspective. Clearly, it's still something great importance to the team that has to gain soldiers on through development, as the team completely rebuilt some of the tools to ensure that you won't miss out if you haven't gotten an next-gen console or PC. We are doing our very best to make sure Halo Infinite runs optimally on any device you may choose to play on. It's particularly important after the initial look at Halo Infinite drew criticism for its visual quality. 
So they will also feature a rebuilt customizable control scheme and is currently slated for a launch in fall 2021 after being delayed out of the launch window for Xbox S and S for tw- winters for holiday 2020. So I'm excited for Halo Infinite still. We'll see how that takes names and kick ass. Or as, uh, <laughs> man, as Infinite, Infinity War showed, kick, kick names, take ass. Yeah, that's right. What have I done? There will be a sequel, finally, to Cloverfield, but unlike its predecessor, it will not be a found footage movie. The sequel is being written by Joe Barton, the showrunner behind HBO Max's Batman spinoff show centered around Gotham City Police Department. It will be produced by original Cloverfield producer J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot's head of film, I can't pronounce that last name, according to The Hollywood Reporter. The sequel seems to be following the footsteps of the other Cloverfield universe movies. 2016's Ken Cloverfield Reign in The Paradox in that it won't be a found footage like the original was, it differs from 10 Cloverfield Lane and a Paradox in that while the other two movies were set in the same universe as the 2008 film, they weren't directly tied to it. They originally developed a standalone films devoid of anything that attached them, but they eventually changed the fate of the universe before each movie's release. According to this, will be a direct sequel, which ended on a cliffhanger that left it unclear if the nuclear explosion that occurs in the film's final moves actually killed the monster and ter- terrorizing Manhattan. So... <clears throat> Matt Reeves, who is currently working on The Batman, was the director of Cloverfield, and THR reports that he's not involved in the sequel. He made Cloverfield for $25 million and went on to make $172 million at the box office. With this sequel dropping the generally cheaper found footage approach, it's easy to make this budget with a rocket past $25 million. Only time will tell if the audience show up to make it successful as the original. So we'll have to see where that goes. But they were teasing that at times the monster was not actually dead. We'll have to see how that follows up. Especially since now they have to connect all the other movies with it. So the one of the original Apple One computers built by Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, is on sale for $1.5 million. The current owner grabbed it in 1978 for a couple hundred. Oh man. Imagine how much money that would imagine how much money that's gonna make when the bidding starts. And to cover to end our big epic premiere of relaunch, just Zack Snyder's Justice League HBO Max release date has been officially confirmed. You may start your countdowns. In a Twitter post revealing it was announced that Justice League, the Snyder Cut, will be releasing on March 18th, 2021, with a bunch of photos coming out titling itself Fallen, Risen, and Reborn. The first poster features the Shadow Justice League symbol, while the second image draws inspiration from 1992's Death of Superman cover, and the final film shows the cancer with Snyder's name emboldened on the front, highlighted in red. HBO Max has now confirmed that Justice League Snack Snyder's The Snyder Cut will be released as a full-length Max original feature film when it premieres on the streaming platform. This finally puts to rest the speculation over whether it will be released as a single-hour, four-hour feature or four parts. This announcement came with a debate three new teaser posters outlined in the original story. So, everyone get hyped, get excited, the Snyder Cut's coming its way, it's gonna be fun, it's gonna be hell to pay, and oh my god, I can't wait for it. And it's gonna be a wild ride. A very long, wild ride. But, yeah, it was originally supposed to be a limited multi-part series, but then Snyder previously suggested that his Justice League Cut would be released as a one-shot movie, and there's no update if there will ever be a sequel, but it looks like... 
to the Snyder Cut version of his universe, or if it will be completely removed from the universe because it's because of the tension going on with the actor for Cyborg, or again DC with Warner Media and all that. Yeah. Although altogether, the Snyder Cut has about is said to include around 150 minutes of unseen universe. Unseen footage comprised of four or five minutes of additional photography, original footage from the theatrical release, and elements that ended up on the cutting room floor. Or it also made clear that it will not feature a quote single frame from the Josh Whedon reshoots. Yeah, get ready, everyone. We're going in for a wild, wild ride on this. So. This was the super long episode of Neo Reality Collective. I'm glad to have come back with all this, with the relaunching stuff process. It was difficult looking for a platform to host this on, so I'm glad I was able to put the original episode up available on Anchor. And now, moving forward, this show will be on Anchor with a potential release on a separate YouTube channel covering stuff being a re-airing of the show on YouTube. But we'll have to see where that goes. Anchor right now is set to be the hosting platform for Neo Reality Collective for the foreseeable future. I can't wait to hear about what you're thinking about this, and I can't wait for your donations and everything when it comes down to it, and your sponsorship stuff. We'll have to see. This was Eric Brown, host of Neo Reality Collective. Stay tuned for more. Check out my other channels in subscription and my other in my Twitter account, in the description of the podcast. Stay tuned for more. I'll see you all next time. Peace out, everyone. Take care.